Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. We've been fighting this virus, but we have been fighting it with rubber bullets. That's Kenya's Minister of Health, Mutahi Kagwe. What we have received here is the equivalent, metaphorically speaking, to acquisition of machine guns, bazookas, and tanks to fight this war against COVID-19. Earlier this month, boxes of the Oxford-AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine arrived by plane in Kenya. They were funded and distributed by COVAX. That's a global initiative run by the World Health Organization the Global Vaccine Alliance, and the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations. The program uses donations to purchase vaccines for countries that cannot afford them. As wealthier nations have bought up most of the world's supply of vaccines, many lower- and middle-income countries have been left behind. But here's the thing to keep in mind. Europe and the United States don't live in a vacuum. None of us do. As the WHO's Director General pointed out, Here's Tedros Adhanome Gabriasis. Until we end the pandemic everywhere, we won't end it anywhere. As we speak, rich countries are rolling out vaccines while the world's least developed countries watch and wait. Every day that passes, the divide grows larger between the world's haves and have-nots. COVAX is an attempt to try and bridge that gap but it has also come under fire for its slow pace of progress. We've all had front row seats to the rollout here in the United States, and we've seen how and why it's been so difficult to distribute. So it's not that hard to imagine why it could be challenging in places that have far fewer resources. So today, we decided to take a look at how a vaccine goes from the research lab into the arms of people all over the world, and what challenges lie along the way. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta. CNN's chief medical correspondent. And this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. We know we've invested tens of billions of dollars in new interventions, technologies. Most of them don't get to the people who need them most or don't get there very quickly. Vaccines are being developed at an unprecedented rate, but we still know that getting them out to the last mile, getting to the people who need them most is going to be just as important and just as difficult. Dr. Krishna Udya Kumar is director of the Duke University Global Health Innovation Center. Dr. Udya Kumar and his team have been studying the global COVID-19 vaccine supply as well as the distribution process. Yeah, so I sort of sit at this intersection of health, global health, and innovation. So I'm a physician by training. I still practice as a general internist and also serve as the head of the Global Health Innovation Center at Duke University. So what we're trying to do is address critical health challenges, especially in low-resource settings around the world. You know, I read this stat the other day, um, Doc, that that I I just want to run it by you. I want to make sure I got it right. I, I think they said that basically in wealthy nations... A person is being vaccinated roughly every second, 
and there are some poor nations that have not yet received vaccine. Is that accurate? It is. So if we look, almost 400 million doses of vaccines have now been delivered in 128 countries. But the huge majority of those are in just a handful. So more than 110 million doses in the U.S., 65 million in China, 50 million plus in Europe. And India is really at the top of the list for low and middle income countries with 35 million so far. So we can say vaccines are now available in 128 countries, but really almost all of them are going to just a handful of countries right now. One of the goals is to try and manufacture closer to, you know, particular regions. Where are the vaccines, you know, primarily being manufactured now? Yeah, a lot of it depends on the platform that these vaccines are using. So uh, the Pfizer-BioNTech and the Moderna are using this new mRNA technology platform, which really hasn't been scaled globally ever. So those are still largely in the U.S., in North America, and in Europe, where they're being manufactured. On the other side, we have other vaccine platforms, uh, like the one that AstraZeneca and Oxford uses, that lends itself to be much more distributed at low cost. So that's being manufactured most at scale in India, but also uh, being set up to be manufactured in Brazil, Argentina, Mexico, in Thailand. And so that is a model that we've seen be very distributed in terms of the ability to manufacture. A lot of people are starting to hear this term COVAX. It's been described as perhaps one of the most important acronyms you're going to need to know from 2021. Just tell us what it is and what are the obligations of countries, including the United States, to COVAX? Yeah, so about a year ago, some global health leaders around the world got together and said, what can we learn from what has happened historically where poorer countries have had to wait at times a decade or more to get access to the same interventions? And so the World Health Organization, together with Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, and the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, really came together to create this vaccine pillar for the global health community called COVAX. So the aspiration was that it could serve as the single hub for global vaccine equity. We've seen some of that come to fruition, but as expected, we've also seen significant challenges along the way. You know, I've always had this this sort of balance, like what the obligation to other countries around the world, and not just from an altruistic standpoint, but this idea that, you know, if you don't control outbreaks in other places around the world, the world is still at risk. I mean, how do you how do you balance all those competing interests? I mean, no one should feel guilty, obviously, about getting vaccines ahead of line here in the United States versus other countries, right? Absolutely. For my patients as well, I say, take the vaccine when it's your turn and don't have any guilt about it because we're trying to get as many vaccines out to as many people in the U.S. and globally as we can. But at a policy level, you're right, we can save more lives if we're sharing vaccines. What we're trying to avoid from a policy perspective is seeing a huge amount of healthy young people vaccinated in high-income countries before frontline health workers, other essential people, uh, vulnerable populations have access to those same vaccines in poorer countries. Uh, So ideally, we would be sharing vaccines in parallel to vaccinating here in the U.S. So right now, we do have already purchased enough vaccines in the U.S. to vaccinate at least 500 million people. So clearly, it's more than we're going to need. And by April, May, June, we're going to start to see vaccines being left on shelves and in freezers, which would be really a shame. 
And we saw just in the last week the government of Mexico pleading because they're in a desperate situation asking for access to 30 million or more doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine that we have sitting on shelves here in the U.S. And those are vaccines that have not been approved yet in the U.S. We don't need them anytime in the coming weeks. And so uh, whether you talk about the humanitarian reason, the vaccine diplomacy, which is the flip side of this nationalism, there's so many important reasons that we should be sharing them. You know, I, I uh, interviewed Albert Bourla, uh, you may know, doctor, who, who is the CEO of Pfizer. He said that, that Pfizer, for example, would be making a billion doses in, in 2021. We're getting um, a few hundred million of them, but the vast majority of them are going to other places around the world. Who, who pays for those? How do those, those deals sort of get struck uh, ahead of time? How does the United States, 5% of the population, get 40% of Pfizer's vaccines, for example? Now, who's going to pay for the vaccines and the vaccination still is a major issue. And what we've seen is competition between multilateral approaches like COVAX versus the bilateral approaches. So 190 economies and countries have supported COVAX so far. The U.S. has committed $4 billion. So uh, it's the largest investment that's been made. And at the same time, we're competing with COVAX for the doses as quickly as we can by buying them directly. And the companies are also in a tough position. So if you take the Serum Institute of India, for example, they are right now the major provider of vaccines to COVAX. They're also the major provider of vaccines for domestic needs in India, and they're trying to meet the needs of all the other countries that have bought directly from them. So everybody's really in a tough position. By the end of this year, I think we'll be in a much better place. We have projected that there are probably going to be something like 12 billion doses of vaccines that are going to be manufactured this year. But week to week, month to month, it's a much more dire situation right now. How do you how do you describe cost of these vaccines? Most people in the United States they go, they get their shot, they have no no charge. I mean, not even a a copay or any sort. Nothing comes out of their pocket. So it seems the impression is that these vaccines are very affordable. But ha how much do they actually cost? Yeah, the cost varies widely if you look at the different vaccine candidates. So the cheapest are, are probably the uh, the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine, uh, especially those manufactured in India. They're being sold at about $3 a dose into COVAX. We've seen on the other end of the range, uh, the mRNA vaccines, partially because they're new, partially because of just the cost of producing them, have a higher price point. So the lowest price we've seen publicly reported for the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine has been to the African Union for something like $6.50 a dose. In the U.S., we're paying about $20 a dose Moderna uh, has listed price points as high as $37 a dose. So, you know, multiply that by two for each individual. So the range is wide. I remember having this conversation some time ago where, where um, someone said to me, even if the cure for AIDS or the vaccine for AIDS came in the form of a clean glass of water, we still wouldn't be able to get the, the, the therapy to people all over the world who need it. I mean, how complicated is that part of things? Just to get a vial of vaccine from one place to another and then into the arms of people. Can you break down that process a bit? Sure. Just the, the manufacturing itself right, is very dependent on what type of vaccine platform is being used. 
We've seen some batch issues where the yield hasn't been as good. So the number of doses coming from a single batch has been lower than expected. And then you've got to go from creating the bulk drug to fill and finish. And that doesn't necessarily happen at the same facility. So you've got logistics and supply chain even before you have a vial of vaccine. And once you have that, being able to get that with cold chain onto planes into capital cities largely around the world And then you got to think about, we're going to need more than a billion syringes and gloves, all these other things that come with it, PPE for people that are going to be giving these vaccines. you got to train enough people to actually give vaccines and, and do the vaccinations around the world. And then because many of these vaccines are two doses, you got to have a way to track who's gotten which vaccine when and when they're due back. All of those are really difficult challenges to overcome simultaneously during a pandemic. So if you just look at the the math here, you know, around 7 billion people living on the planet, the definition or, or criteria for herd immunity changes a little bit, but let's say it's around 70, 80%. So around 5 billion people uh, would need to be vaccinated. If it's a two-dose vaccine, that's 10 billion doses. You talked about the fact that there may be 12 billion doses by the end of this year. Do you think that if you just put the math together, that we will actually potentially get to herd immunity even this year for the world? Right. I think that's going to be unlikely, unfortunately. With COVAX, for example, their goal is to try to get enough vaccines out so that in low and middle income countries, 20 to 25 percent of the population have access to vaccines by the end of 2021. We do know that even low-income countries are finding other ways to get access to vaccines. So the African Union and the Africa CDC, for example, have gone out and made their own purchases of 670 million doses for the African continent. So we're hopeful that the numbers of, of vaccinated individuals will continue to rise over the coming weeks and months. But we should also remember that a vaccine coming off a a production line is very different than a vaccination that's reached uh, somebody's arm. So I think the distribution, the supply chain, the workforce challenges are all going to be ones that we have to continue to work through. I'd say the, the positive thing to take away here is that within months of the very first vaccine being delivered, we now have 128 countries where and some vaccination is happening. It's much better than we've ever done. So it's better. We have learned from the past, but we are not exactly where we need to be. So what we need to continue to do is learn from what we're going through, both to adapt in real time, but also to be prepared for the next pandemic. We know that this is not going to be the last one, probably even in our lifetimes. Now, last week, the United States announced that it plans to send millions of doses of AstraZeneca's vaccine to Mexico and Canada. We've already purchased a lot of this vaccine, even though it hasn't been authorized here yet. It has been authorized in those two countries, and this will be the first time the United States has shared vaccines directly with another country. It's expected to give a major boost to the vaccination efforts there. Going back to the words of WHO Director General Tedros, we must end this pandemic everywhere in order to end it anywhere. Keep that in mind. We really are all in this together. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening.
quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 